To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Yo, it's happening, guys. Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So this week's a good one. Uh, this week I'm doing a podcast that I titled The Mule Deer Roundtable. And, and basically I got together a bunch of the speakers from the, the, the Western Hunting Summit that Lampers put on, the Mule Deer Seminar. And I just got us in a room and just hit record and started talking mule deer. So there's so much great, valuable insight for, from consistent mule deer killers in here. So uh, I've got Dione... Uh, Amucha Staggy on here. Look forward to me mispronouncing his name in the podcast. I have a tough time with that one, but the guy's an absolute mule deer killer, and he's got great insight into mule deer. He's real smart. Uh, I've had him on the podcast before, but we have him in the roundtable discussion. Uh, my bow hunting brother, uh, Travis Nowatney. Um, man, I, I really like that guy. We've had him on the podcast recently, but just a consistent mule deer killer with his bow. Uh, and then I have Zach Kenner on. Uh, I met Zach Kenner on a mule deer hunt in Wyoming, met him at the trailhead, and we've kept in touch ever since. And so he's a great addition to the podcast. So uh, three absolute mule deer killers, uh, mule deer roundtable discussion. I really enjoyed it, and I know you guys are going to enjoy it too. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors. I want to thank Everly Stock Packs. Uh, Everly Stock builds great durable packs that pack the weight right. And I've got, they make different packs for every different situation. And so um, their day packs, they have a bunch of different options here. I've really fallen in love with that kite pack. It's the, the perfect mix of being a lightweight day pack, but you can also pack out an animal if you get it, strap things to it. It's rigid enough to take that heavy weight for a pack out. So that kite pack it has just been um, super for me. I really enjoy it. I uh, use the little big top for smaller expeditions, and then I use their uh, destroyer pack. Um, for longer expedition hunts. Uh, like I say, they're all built durable, built to pack the weight right, and really get the weight on your hips. Um, and, and they offer their packs for a good price point. Uh, so uh, thanks to Everly Stock for their support. If you're in the market for a new pack, make sure to check them out. One of the places you can check them out at is Sportsman's Warehouse. Uh, Sportsman's Warehouse carries all the top brands, and it's really nice to have a store where you can go in, touch and feel, try on the products you're going to buy, uh, look through the optics you're thinking about purchasing. Um, they've got knowledgeable staff in each one of their departments, and that's their fishing department, their their rifle department or hunting department. Uh, they have an archery department, optics, uh, and, and just really knowledgeable, passionate people that are working in there that can help answer your questions. Um, they've, they've got all the, the, the backpacking foods in there. So make sure you get set up for this season. And if there's anything you're missing for your kid or anything you need along the way, uh, just look up a location. They have a bunch of locations uh, across the Western United States. Uh, thanks to those guys for their support. Make sure to check out Sportsman's Warehouse. Over there at Eastman's, um, gosh, we've got some great episodes of Beyond the Grid coming up. So uh, I've got a podcast now lined up with Dan Picard. I'm going to get him on a hunting podcast. I'm also going to get him on Eastman's Flycast. That's the fly fishing specific podcast. 
Um, so we've got that all lined up for next week. We're going to record a good one. Uh, I'm sure it'll be about bow hunting and probably be about elk hunting as Dan is just an absolute fanatic for elk. And we've got one of the best episodes of Beyond the Grid coming up where he shoots this giant Wyoming bull. It's his personal best. He killed it last year. Uh, It's a great hunt coming up along with some other ones that we're going to be releasing. So we'll talk about that. I'll make sure to give you guys a heads up when those videos are going to be released, but should be really exciting. Um, So we have that going on. Uh, We also have Eastman's Tag Hub. You guys have heard me talk about this. So this is our internet research tool that compiles all our data from the MRS section and more um, about, about, you know, all different species from mule deer to elk to antelope to special uh, tags like sheep and moose and things. Um, It's, it's a great tag research tool and it's all compiled in one place tag hub and tag hub we're doing a big giveaway right now sixteen thousand dollars worth of gear uh gosh we've got uh bows pistol we're giving away packs uh everly stock and then um we also have a quiet cat uh, electric bike that we're giving away uh so so all this is given away to our members Uh, to help get this thing off the ground and get this thing rolling. So uh, if you guys are interested, it's a great research tool. Check out Eastman's Tag Hub. With that, um, yeah, I see uh, one of my episodes was released onto Beyond the Grid. Uh, It was my first ever hunt, um, or my first ever filmed hunt, not my first ever hunt. That would be wild. (laughs) But uh, my first ever filmed hunt, I did in Wyoming. I did it with Lane Walters. He's been on the podcast. He's a great video uh, he's just so talented behind the lens of uh, pictures and video and things. And so we put together this film in Wyoming where we backpacked in and uh, chased around some good velvet mule deer and, um, yeah, tried to arrow one up there. And so we released that episode. It was just available on the Outdoor Channel. Now you can find it on the Internet under Beyond the Grid. So check out that hunt. Uh, also, the the, uh, the Eastman's Hunting TV on the Outdoor Channel. Um one of my, my favorite episodes, or the one that I'm most proud of, is last year's elk hunt as it just went off over there. I got a few years under my belt talking in front of the camera, explaining what we're doing and how we're going about it. Uh, so it's a great episode. I'm really proud of it. Uh, so you can DVR that or check that out on the Outdoor Channel. And um, gosh, with that, yeah, I think that's I think that's all I have, you guys. Um, let's get right into this podcast. So this is the the Mule Deer Roundtable, uh, Eastman's Elevated. I'm your host, Brian Barney. Here we go. Because I wasn't happy. I mean, mm-hmm. and I didn't have to go to a shop an hour and a half away. It's nice. You know, just right there. How's everybody's volume? I can, I can hear, hear it good. Yeah, yeah good. sounds good. Okay, not going to blow out your eardrums? No. Okay. Um, well, yeah, I just thought we'll just get it started off. So I've got the murderer's row of mule deer hunters here. So this is awesome. I get to sit down with these guys and have a conversation. So um, we'll, we'll just say hey as I introduce you so people can can put a voice with the name, and then we'll just get talking mule deer. So uh, Travis Nowatney, man, thanks for being here. Yeah, I appreciate the invite. Mm-hmm. Yep, I've got Zach Kenner, Alaska yeah. boy. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Yep, but but absolutely loves mule deer. In fact, I met you on the Mule Deer Mountain. Yeah. Yep. No. Yeah. Uh, Dione Amagutsky. Amuchastegi. Oh, God, yeah. I was close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Just, just an absolute killer from Idaho, man. I'm so impressed at what you do and your patience 
And I've talked about it a little bit at the summit, and we were just having this conversation downstairs. So, so we've got all these great speakers that, that hunt and kill big mule deer, and, and there's definitely, we definitely do a lot similar and have similar mindsets, but, but our tactics can be totally different just from the habitat that we hunt or the weapons we hunt or the season. Um, but I'm so impressed at what you do in mule deer in Idaho there. Yeah. Thank you. And, and like I've had that, we've actually, I've had that conversation with all the speakers and it seems like we have a ton of the same skills, but our application of them is different. Mm -hmm. Yep. So absolutely. Yeah. I've been telling the guys about your patience. I always, I always think that that's wild. And I've got that, that saying that's kind of caught on and I don't know that I came up with it, but that patience kills the buck. And, and slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Oh, I love that one too. <laughs> yeah. That's a great yeah, one. That's how I, that's how I approach it. It's just like, okay, I'm going to be slow. I'm going to be methodical and, and I'm going to find them. And then, I'm, you know, when, when the opportunity comes up, I'm going to kill them to the first chance. So, mm -hmm. yeah, well that, that patience too. So you do a lot of scouting and, and it seems like we've all done a lot of scouting in our early years. And as we get older, we have less and less free time and try to put our emphasis on hunting season, but you do a lot of scouting mm -hmm. and you're trying to locate these big bucks and then they, you know where they're living come season. Is that right? Mm -hmm. I want to know where he's living and how he uses the environment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I want to have a really good understanding of what he's doing when he's, when he's relaxed because they just tighten up that same routine later in October. You know, that's why they're so hard to find. It's just they're, they've got that routine so down. They know where they can travel and not be seen. They know where they're going to go through that hill and not have sun hitting them. So they're very exposed and, and easy to spot. So like they're doing a lot of the same things, but their application of them, they're just, they're really, really tight. They're using the best little routes. They're eating in the, in the most condensed little pockets that have cover and escape routes and feed. And it's just, everything tightens up in their routine. But if you've got a good understanding of that and you've watched that deer enough you've seen how he responds to pressure like you can go in there and, and even if things things happen because you know they do a lot of times there's other hunters move through the area um you know you, you can apply all the things you know about that animal and get a a good estimation of how he might respond to that situation figure him out mm -hmm. yeah i love listening to your theories on it because you hunt deer uh, exclusively with your rifle during the mid-season. Well, you might hunt with the bow a little bit, but mm -hmm. um, that's kind of what you focus on. And and I don't know what you guys think, but uh, that's one of the toughest seasons to hunt deer. And then you have the highest pressure. And so you're hunting the higher, highest pressure deer in those older age class that you focus on. They're so smart in that, you know, after they shed their velvet in that late, late September, early October, man, that's a tough season to hunt them. And, and so I met... I met Zach, I met you on the mountain and going in a bow hunt and you were taking yeah. advantage of both weapons. And I think you hunted that year for 30 some days tw in that tw spot. 27. Yeah. 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 No, that was, and that was the, uh, the glory days, so to speak of Wyoming where, you know, before the winter kill, you know, I was in 2016. Well, did I meet you in 2015 or 2016? I hunted it both years. I think it was 2016 that I, I ran India. Right. Yep. And, uh, you know, that was just an amazing season where I, I can't tell you how many hundreds of bucks I glassed over in those 27 days, but, you know, unlike his strategy, I was more kind of covering country. And kind of, I've like heard you talk about it too, where, you know, you're, you get a good solid glass morning and evening and I'm moving, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm looking for. It's kind of a numbers game where it's like, you know, Dione picks a, a drainage that he knows that buck's in and he finds him. And it's like, I'm going to cover 200 deer and find the one that shows himself, you know, and, and then focus in on him. But, uh, yeah, that was an amazing season. I saw so many, so many nice bucks, you know what I mean? And we ended up killing 
We took three bucks out of there. We're all with rifles. Um, so put some good stocks on with the bow, but that, that country's tough. You know what I mean? They can bed themselves up in so many little timber pockets there. You can't actually see where exactly they bed and it's hard to get in on them, you know, with the bow. How much did their behaviors change from the start of the bow season when you went in to the rifle season when you, you finished? You know, it kind of depended because I covered so much country, but like where you end up killing your buck that year, you know, there were so many people in there and those deer were already in the timber. It's like mm-hmm. they were already pushed down that just too many people, too much pressure. Um, and you know, I saw one of the biggest bucks I've ever seen in my life in that basin and said, there's too many people and turned and walked the other way. Mm-hmm. And we end up finding like, you know, a 180 class three point and the op- down the opposite or down the ridge, the opposite direction, a couple miles and made some really good plays on him and had fun hunting him, you know, and there was nobody around, you know, that was, it was, it was fun. High pressure deer. They're a different species, aren't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you don't already kind of have them figured out, you're you're at a really big disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think especially in Idaho, the way that Deone hunts, I don't think those covering country in like Wyoming where yeah. there's an older age class of buck and more deer, you know, Idaho, the way Deone's doing it, finding that buck early and honing in on that buck and then being patient in that area, that really works, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What, it'd be a waste of time to spend as much, as much time in, in one little section of country in Wyoming. Cause you'd just be looking at the same deer for days, <laughs> you know, it, it's, uh, it's really situational. And then mm-hmm. like where yeah. you can apply that, that tactic is, is a, I don't know how unique it is, but at least, uh, at least where I'm at, you know, it's There's so much country in Idaho that's just void of deer. Mm-hmm. And the way that, the mule deer change their habits as their whole daily routine tightens up as October approaches. I mean, it's about be about an impossible task to kill a big buck with your rifle every year. It seemed like, mm-hmm. yeah, you're, you're right. The, the pressure sure affects those deer. Like the, the biggest deer that I ever killed, I saw twice in seven days and that was during a bow season, yeah, but there was guys hunting the ridge line and moving through. And I just believed in the vantage points and I had scouted that deer and there was enough big deer around that I hunted them like you would Dione, mm-hmm. where I knew that deer was there, grabbed the vantage points day in, day out. And then finally arrowed that buck, you know, on, on the second time I saw him in seven days. Yeah. And I, I wish Remy was here to tell that story about the, the buck he was following. Uh, and you know, he kept, he kept thinking they went on this loop, but he ended up finding this one tiny little few hundred yard area where that buck had just been bedded up solid in yes. there. You know, and he, he questioned if he ever left that little hole. So, yes. you know, and it's just, it's just situational, but, but it's good to have an awareness that some deer might just post up in a spot like that and you got to find that little tiny nook or cranny where he's living mm-hmm. they're really killable if you know that little tiny nook or cranny mm-hmm. yeah so travis you're my bow hunting brother you're there in idaho i mean all of us bow hunt but yeah you're you're pretty much a bow hunting exclusive for these mule deer sure put down some nice ones last year so how much of a part is your scouting and finding these deer and know where they're living uh, a key to your success i'd say it's a huge key to my success um one of the biggest things is I don't like to waste time. So going into the season, having a plan and knowing where the deer are and what they're doing, uh, it just, it puts me that much farther ahead when it comes time that that precious season is rolling around on day one. I know what buck I'm looking for, or maybe I don't know what buck I'm looking for, but I know the areas that those deer live and I'm not wasting time. So that, that's so key, isn't it? Is that you're scouting or when you've hunted an area before you get to learn it and and where deer prefer and and you said it earlier that idaho has a bunch of great mule deer country that's void of deer and and it seems like a lot of country you know they're they're not spread out throughout the landscape 
you know, that they, they find certain sections of country that they like, and then that's where they're hanging. And it's our job to find those. But you're right. If you can find that before season and know where those spots are, then Mm -hmm. you're putting all your time and effort in really good mule deer country where they live instead of like looking for them. And they also, even during the bow season and more so during the rifle season, they're way tougher to locate and find because they do tighten up their program. You can, you can learn more in in a day or two than you, uh, you know, mid summer when they've got that bright red coat and they are more visible and they're out in the open. They haven't really tightened stuff up. You can learn more in a couple days that way than you could during a week of season because they just do tighten up those routines. So you, it's hard to tell the areas that are void of deer from the areas that have deer because the deer are really hard to find at that point in time. So like if a person can even just go out and say, okay, I'm just going to look for an area that has deer. And then once you find deer, you know, okay, this is, this is a point I can go to and I'm not starting from zero. You're going to be miles ahead than if you spent those two days right before season even because the deer are just so much easier to find and you know they're going to be somewhere in that area so you've just narrowed it down that much more and it was that much easier to figure out that information yeah i like that you can really uh fall back on all that scouting from the past like Mm -hmm. all the same locations that i find bucks in you know it might vary a little bit for the most part uh if i am on a time crunch i can go and i can cherry pick all those spots until i find the buck i want and you know usually it works out just just all that that prior knowledge that uh is just really invaluable so absolutely yeah i couldn't agree more where bucks like and where you hunt bucks you find them there uh you know years in the future and maybe it doesn't have the great big one that you're looking for in that cycle of bucks but eventually one's going to grow up in that basin so when you have a network of spots that you can check that you know deer like you just know you're going to go in there and turn up some bucks it's almost strange if you go into a basin that you know is bucky or you've seen them before and you don't turn up a buck or two yeah i love Mm -hmm. that cherry picking like that i just go through all the old spots that i have and i have a list of new spots i want to check out that I can just add to my artillery and I can watch bucks from year to year and say, Oh, uh, this buck right here next year, this buck's going to be a shooter, you know? So, yes. Yeah. That's smart. So Zach, you've been up in Alaska killing brown bear and doll sheep. How does the doll sheep compare to mule deer hunting? Oh, it's, uh, the country is, you know, the, how, how mean the country is, I would say is very similar, nice. uh, you know, as far as like a high country mule deer hunt. Um, but I, you know, I was telling these guys yesterday, it's, uh, it's a lot easier to see white sheep, you know, <laughs> 10 miles, you know, versus trying to find a mule deer in a thousand yards in a drainage and you can't find them. You know I mean? It, there's a lot of that, but no, it's, it's just, it's amazing. It's uh super fortunate to be able to get up there and do that. And I don't know. I originally, I kind of had like a three to five year plan or something to maybe coming back, but I don't know. It's kind of grown on me. So <laughs> we'll see when, when, uh, if I ever get back down here, but I do have a couple mule deer tags this year. Uh, I drew Montana, so I might, I might come back here this fall, and I don't know when. It's kind of going to be a whenever my schedule will allow, and that's kind of why I chose Montana to, to have a tag in this year because the season's so broad. Mm-hmm. But How cool. Yeah, it's um, we have some of the funnest hunting right around here for mule deer, and a lot of it is the places they live, and so that doll sheep has to be yeah. spectacular up there, just the places they live. But it's the same thing with these mule deer. I just love the the country they live in, and, and they can live all the way from the desert floor to the tops of the mountains, and then how they adapt to those habitats. They're just a crazy cool animal to hunt, and they are way tougher to glass. Yeah, Those gray coats, I mean – 
Sometimes a deer just sticks out like a sore thumb and you can see it with your naked eye. And sometimes those things can be bedded in the wide open and I'm sitting there glassing for an hour and I don't spot those things just bedded, those gray mm-hmm. coats and the rocks. Don't those blend in good? Yeah, it's nuts. A lot of times I'll go into a spot and I know, you know, I've watched a deer for a long time. I've got a pretty good idea where he's starting his day out most days. They've got their routine will change a little bit from day to day, but I usually know like what part of the hills this deer going to show up on today. And if he's not there, he's going to be on this one. And I've got it narrowed down that much. I usually don't see him till they move. Like he'll be in the middle of this hillside. I know he didn't come over a ridge and just walk into it because it's really easy to see all the skylines. Like I'll know he's in the middle of this hill, thick hillside, and and even if it is all visible, I won't see him till he moves. Mm-hmm. That's just the Dude, reality of it. He just he turns sit, his head. You know, that's yep, all. Sometimes that's all it takes. He's in the shade. He's he's halfway concealed under a down tree, or he's he's partially behind a tree, and and he just he knows the areas where he can sit, and it's hard to see him. And until he does something, you don't see him. Mm-hmm. What, um, so glassing techniques, let's go around. Um, so do you use uh, 10 by 42s? Do yep. you, do you tripod them up? When do you use I'll, your scope? How do you pick things apart? Just I'll tripod you- periodically, but, but I'm, I'm wanting the glass from sun up to sundown and I don't take breaks. Like I don't, I don't go take a nap in the middle of the day. I'll eat all my food right there. I'm, I'm, I'm set up. This is where I'm going to be within a hundred yards or so, you know, maybe, maybe a tiny bit farther just to try and get some different angles on that same spot. But, um, I, I'm concerned with comfort. So I want to be as comfortable as possible. So I'll sit there in glass as long as possible. Um, I get in kinking, kinking my neck sometimes trying to do off a tripod and I, I will, I'll switch back and forth, but I'm, I'm kind of fidgeting around moving, trying to just keep comfortable so I don't get too stiff from sitting around in one spot. So I just try and glass as long as possible with my 10 by 42s. I've got, um, Swarovski SLCs and, and I just spend as much time as I can behind those. And then I'll bring the spotter out if I'm suspicious of something, or if there's, if there's a couple known trees that are hard to see behind, or I'm trying to see, you know, a part of something that looks like it might be a deer i'll pull the spotter out and just kind of do a a, you know a sanity check uh with those so that's that's kind of my program Mm -hmm. for thick country it's 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 more persistence than it is precision yeah it's smart zach what's your technique i'm a tripod fan Mm -hmm. um i kind of really got turned on to the tripod hunting coos country in arizona and i haven't gone i haven't left it it's yeah i mean even <laughs> even looking for sheep, which are pretty easy to see. I mean, and a lot of times I'll, I'll be able to, you know, look, just pick up and look. But if I get a good vantage point, I sit down, I get the tripod out and grid, you know, that's, that's kind of how I roll. And it kind of depends too on, on the distance, you know, I mean, I, I used to run tens now I'm running twelves. Um, and, but you know, that, that bigger country, I, I tend to really want to tripod up on for sure, you know, cause it's just, so much and and to just have it sit there and still you know like you just said you know you're picking up that movement and i think it's so much easier to see movement when you're not even touching the thing you know mm-hmm. but yeah i'm I'm a tripod believer all the way mm-hmm. and, but yeah travis how do you go about it? uh I'm, I'm pretty random i i used uh 10 by 42 swaros and a 65 uh spot and scope but uh I'm pretty, uh, I just hit all the spots that look good to me, all the bucky looking spots. And, you know, I move around and get different angles and stuff and I'll glass an area until I feel like I've covered it pretty well and then I'll move on. So, you know, I think the key is, uh, glassing those spots at the right time. And, you know, I'm pretty thorough. I I don't really have a pattern or any kind of grid system or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I just glass everything and seems to work out so i don't put too much thought into it i guess mm-hmm. you know minus i might i might plan uh you know if the sun's coming up at my back that might be a, a good way to grab a vantage point in the morning where as everything's 
that sun's hitting that hillside, everything really pops, you know, mm -hmm. but yeah, well, and it's almost just a, a OCD during season just to have your those binos glued to your eyes, every little opening, everything you can see at all times, you know, and I'll, mm -hmm. I, I run a hybrid system of, you know, knees to elbows or even as I'm hiking around looking at openings, just pulling up my binos, just staring at every little bucky spot I can see. And I'm the same way when I'm glassing. I don't have a grid system or a way I cover it. You know, I just look for bucky spots and I think I do a lot of it subconsciously where, you know, the morning I'm panning openings, the edge openings, yep. I'm panning yep. through stuff quick, you know, where middle of the day, if I'm sitting above a base and I believe deer are, I'm really going to pick apart the shadows down there. I might even get out my scope and pick it apart down in there. I'm going to change angles and just be more patient before I move as well to make sure I see them. But yeah, and I like mule deer. I really like master vantage points where I can see, you know, either a lot of country or a good slice of country where I think there's deer um, but, but I'm also apt to sit there for an hour and then move up the ridge another half a mile or look at a different drainage or whatever the case is. But yeah, mine's kind of a hybrid system too, mm -hmm. using all of the above. I think the important thing is just to be sitting behind your glass as much as you can. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think, I think it, you know, the applications are different. Like I'm, I'm looking one basin for one deer. Um, I'm not going to look, I'm not going to look half a mile away for that deer. Cause I, I believe in to be in that basin. But if, if I don't have that one deer found and, and that's not my target animal in that one spot, I'd be dumb to sit in that one spot. Like I need to move and go find that animal. If I don't have an animal found, I'm not going to, you know, depending on country, obviously I'm not going to just sit there and, and find an animal that's not there. So, um, you know, I think you just have to be aware of, of where to apply those skills. Yeah, I think you're right. That just comes with those instincts, right? Of hunting those things a bunch and thinking that deer's in there or knowing that bucks like that drainage or you don't and you move on. And I'm sure I've made a million mistakes where I've left drainages where there is a big buck in it. Mm -hmm. um, but I've also, you know, sat above drainages for a couple sessions and it's like, there's just no bucks in here. I just yeah. have to move. So you're right. It's like knowing where to apply those tactics. And that just comes with experience and, and uh, being in mule deer country. Well, and something, something else we haven't touched on, but I'm sure we all do. I mean, as you're walking around, you're paying attention. You're obviously trying to keep an eye out, look, look out in front of you to the sides, but you know, see if there's animals popping up while you're walking, but you're also looking at the ground a little bit. So I'm always paying attention to deer sign. If I hit an area that's got a ton of poop in it, you know, there's, okay, well, maybe this is somewhere I need to sit and look a little bit longer. I'm always looking for big tracks. If there's a really big track there, well, a big buck probably made it. So, you know, that, that kind of helps me key in on some of those things. And I think you just have to, you have to be able to consume everything that's happening around you and kind of process it all and then make your decisions based off that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I even look at the vegetation, yep. you know, you know, what, what are they eating? You know, whether they're picking the heads off of certain plants or, you know, you yeah, totally you, tell. If you watch a handful of deer, even if there's not a buck you want to shoot in and they're eating this one type of plant, they're yep. just, you know, gorging on it. And then you head over to the next finger ridge or you head into the next base and it's like, oh man, this is, this is that, but more, it's got that feed and it's just, it, there's even more moisture in this part of the basin and, and it, everything's grown a, a, you know, a foot taller and there's more escape routes and there's better cover. It's like, okay, this is, this is maybe the spot. And even, even if it's a smaller, more condensed area, that might be where the big buck is, you know? So you just have to kind of be able to digest all that information and then make your own decisions. That's smart. Big tracks equal big bucks, don't they? Four yeah. inches or bigger, you can just tell it's just a big, mature buck, can't mm -hmm. you? I can, too. I've just looked at enough tracks. And I, I think, um, you know, also in this country, like what I look for is historic use. You know, where deer have been using, they've been using for thousands of years. And so those beds, 
you know, they've got those things dug out. And so when I can see a, a basin or a drainage with a bunch of beds as I'm hiking yeah. up a ridge or glass yeah. beds in different thick cover, it's like, oh, these deer like this spot. And I've, I've had really good luck with too, is you just be walking along and there'll be a big hole in the top of the ridge for no apparent reason with just thousands of tracks pouring into it. And you've just found a natural mineral lick and everything in the area around it knows it's there and they're going to visit it at some point. Oh, wow. I haven't tapped into that. Uh, mineral licks in the, in the woods. So you just find a bunch of tracks coming to a spot and they're the, licking they like literally salt in eat there. the dirt out of yeah, a hole. There's a lot of that in Idaho. Really? Yeah. You know? Oh, that's that. Uh, yeah. You guys are really mineral rich through that part, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, through the, Idaho. The elk will really key in on it. It's almost like a wallow. It'll go down. There's usually water in the bottom from the rain and it's just tore up. And I found some of them that are four foot deep. Yeah. I have wow. To. Oh my gosh, I need to tap into that. I don't know that I've ever recognized that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, and it just seems like an odd thing, but you'll be walking along the ridge and it's just like all of these tracks converging into this one spot and a giant hole in the hill. <laughs> there, There's not, I, you know, I, I know of a handful of them, so they're not like, they're not everywhere, but um, where they are, the deer and elk know about it and they utilize it. And they, they won't go to it every day. It's not something you're going to pattern them off of. But um, it is it is something to keep in your mind and know that, okay, this is something that animals might travel through and I might be able to pick up that big deer, that big elk moving through here and then figure out where his core area is from that. Uh, yeah, I found some of those in like the wilderness areas and I, I almost think that uh, maybe some of those outfitters or something pitched some salt out of the plane when they're going by. Because <laughs> there, was, there was one I found when I was uh, bear hunting this spring and, you know, there was this cut-in trail that goes right up to it that wasn't on a map that obviously an outfitter had scratched out you know but hmm. yeah. yeah that's wild yeah i haven't tapped into that i need to pay more attention to those licks like that because yeah i know they need those minerals mm -hmm. um yeah to grow big healthy antlers you know huh that's crazy the other thing i'll look for too when i'm scouting on google earth is you can see trails cut across steep hillsides yeah. you know? mm -hmm. so as i'm scouting you know and you got to be careful here like this can be tame sheep that they that they put up on the mountain it can be goats it can be from a lot of different things but if i see good trails and good mule deer habitat i'm pretty sure there's some mule deer in there making them yeah i really like those high springs too like in that high oh. country high on the mountain it just seems like those are key for those mule deer. They love them. That's that's something that I look for a lot too. Even in the timber country, if you've got something that's that's thick and heavy, but there's a natural seep on the hill, there's going to be good feed in it, even if it doesn't have the normal like sun exposure you'd expect a big open basin to have. It'll have great feed in yeah, it. Yeah, just right in that little cut right there, and mm -hmm. those deer key on key in on it. So. Yeah, they get, they they'll hold into those areas really tight, and that's that's some of my my favorite places because they don't have to travel much in that situation. So big bucks really key in on those. You I've, guys are spot on. Go yeah, ahead, Zach. I would say I've sat at a spring, high spring, with my bow and waited for them to come right to me. And a lot of them, like, you know. you, you've got a, um, you know, a lot of them don't even have, like, running surface water. Yep. It's just a wet enough spot on the hill Super to hold Super green that right there. Yep. And a yep. lot of times they dig it out so that they can yep. get a little bit of seep water out of it to drink. I mm -hmm. found one of those in Utah, and it was, it was awesome because it was super dry country, and it was nice to be able to go dig it out and be able to fill my water bladder up. But yeah. those deer were using it, too, so it was nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah, you guys are keyed into those springs. Uh, like, as you guys say it, I can remember places where I've ran into them in yeah. Utah and in um, Nevada. I, I've got a couple seeps that yeah. are really good. And I, I like what you say. Like, it's just that it, it's more of a lush neon green mm -hmm. in there uh, that it, that uh, grass gets that moisture from that seep. And it's just greener than yep. anywhere around. And I don't know, you know, sometimes maybe using it for water and things like you were saying or just using it for that good neon feed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think both. Mm -hmm. So, 
Yeah, yeah, really tapping into that. And um, for me, moving around the mountains, it's just um, it, it's kind of like uh, dissecting each one of these drainages and how I can see them. And I, I find a lot of guys now hunt the ridge lines. I, I know one of the best things I can do, even in that super early season, is to take off down these finger ridges and go lose 1,000 feet of elevation yeah. or mm -hmm. 500 feet of elevation. It seems like these deer have learned, you know, and they like these alpine basins when they're summering, but any pressure or it starts to get later in the season, they just start to get down the hill, and they're still in steep, rugged, gnarly country. And, Dione, this is probably where you've scouted a buck up high, and you know he's going to be a little bit lower, but you find those same bucks. They, they just move lower in the mountain and tighten up their, their habits. And well, and a lot, of the, a lot of the deer I'm watching, you know, their, their summer routine will consist of being in that 1,500, 2,000-foot below-the-peak mm -hmm. type country. You know, that's, that's where they're scratching out a living the whole, the whole summer, fall. Okay. So, yep. um, you know, they're, they're just, they're the deer that you don't see if you're, if you're walking from the top of the ridge, you'd never see these deer from the top of the ridge. Yep. I believe that. Yep. That top of that main ridge, uh, you know, sometimes it, you know, you can get good vantage points and pick out deer, but I think you're right. Just diving off that top a little bit, especially in the season you hunt. Like mm -hmm. I know Wyoming, it's the same thing. You work that, that main ridge line, you know, during rifle season, they can be tough to pick out. It's almost like just dropping down just another little level to where they're at. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I had a spot that I scouted really hard one year in Wyoming and had a bunch of good bucks in there. And there's probably hundred different bucks living in this drainage and I go up there to hunt it and all those basins are just void of deer I can't find all these deer I've scouted and nobody's hunting it I can't figure it out and it's just that transition when they start to shed that velvet and I'm not sure if it's shedding the velvet I actually think it's the food burning off up high and then they just start to drop but as soon as I drop down 1500 feet all those bucks I had scouted were all down in that country and you know, ended up arrowing one late yeah. in the hunt, a really nice heavy buck. But, yeah, exactly what you're saying. Yeah, once that velvet comes off and they start to get that gray coat, that's a, that's exactly what I think, too. That's about the time that that feed burns off that they've been burning, eating all summer, and they kind of just drop down. They tighten up their living. They're not out as much in the morning, not out. You know, they just tighten up everything. They don't move as much. Mm -hmm. They they become a different animal really quick. Here, here again, this is one of the things that I've really noticed around some of those seeps is that feed will last longer. Um, so you can, you can utilize, they'll, they'll be utilizing some of that late summer feed into, into early fall. Um, and that's, that's one of the things that, that really holds a buck a little bit longer and makes them, makes them a lot more killable because they're going to, they're going to hold on to that resource as long as it's good. Cause it is a better resource for them. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It makes absolute sense. Yeah. And it, it's just wild how, um, these mule deer can live from the desert floor to the high mountains and just find a place to carve out a good living. But it's it's not by accident the places they're living, is it? Mm -hmm. It's, it's the, very intentional. Yes. Mm -hmm. You find these places, and it's very intentional. They live there for a reason. Mm -hmm. You know, and it it's a place, you know, and and it makes sense. Like a buck to grow up to his full mature, maturity, this five, six, seven-year-old deer, he has to find a place where he doesn't get seen, doesn't get found, doesn't get shot. And yeah. so – you know, inherently they end up living in these, these little holes or these little basins where they are tough to hunt. You know, it's, it's funny. We've talked multiple times through this, uh, Western hunting summit about like, what's your why and how to stay motivated and how to keep yourself into something. But uh, a lot of times I like to think, what's the deer's why? Like once you understand his motivators, it's really easy to go from place to place to place and, and kind of put, 
you know, put this filter on to where you're trying to think of, okay, what is, what are these deer potentially looking for in this area? What's their resources? What are those things that they're going to do to carve out the best living they can in this landscape? And when you start to be able to identify that, you can go from place to place to place and find deer quickly. Yep. Man, that's a great perspective. Yeah. To, to look at it through the deer's eyes Mm -hmm. and, and they really like, um, uh, you know, good feed is key for them, but they also like to be secluded and mm-hmm. hidden. Yep. And, and then they like escape routes as well. They love to be able to escape out of a basin. You know, if yeah. you got a basin that's surrounded by rock, if they don't have some escape routes out of there, they don't like it as much. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, trying to think like a deer. That's smart. I yep. like that. Yeah, for sure. And Travis, you hunt like a a lot of the high country as well, but um, you do you do really good down in the sage where some of these these deer grow up um like like how would you describe it like foothills or high desert or sage country high desert yeah low country uh i kind of keyed in on those areas because i can scout them a lot and that's that's kind of my go-to just because you know over-the-counter tags and that's like that's what i can kind of bank on and then a lot of that high country stuff is like my secondary, you know, I like hunting high country better. It's more enjoyable, the country and that stuff. But I like to have that consistency, be able to pattern a buck and have a good chance at killing them. And then I can move on to my second tag or my next hunt. And really then, then it, then it comes from a, a hyper-focused, fine-tuned, I know where this buck's living or a bunch of bucks are living to covering country and using different tactics well and and travis really dials it in too like i we used to actually carpool to work together for a period of time and i can remember like when when we have those really long summer days travis was was getting out of work and he'd go he's like okay i've got just enough time if if i if i haul butt right now i I can get to where i can glass him right at last light and he's he's taking advantage like every spare minute he has to glass all these different places because it's like he said it's really big for him for for that time management component he's he's making the most every second he's got so you know i i think he's found a good found a good situation where he's taking advantage of resources that are that he can make the most of you know there there there's probably better places in the world than where we're all hunting but but we found something that that we're uniquely positioned to take advantage of yeah you got to take advantage of what's right there and that's you know we're fortunate to live where we do because we've got good deer hunting good elk hunting mm-hmm. all around us so and then i kind of look at some of these other states as just a bonus and an adventure you know yeah gosh that's great um that that sage current it's it's wild because a mature buck can grow up up on the top of the mountain and be a, a, a migrating mule deer that comes down to his winter range, lives his summer habitat, lives at thirteen thousand feet in these alpine basins, or like this high desert, this sage country, it can grow some giant bucks, and oh, you've man. harvested oh, yeah. some giant bucks down there. Oh, yeah. They they just carve out a living and find a way not to get seen, not to get located, and in that. That sage country, sometimes it's wide open, you know, and, and they just find a place to bed and find a place to hide and that stuff. Yeah, I, I bet it's, um, has it surprised you where you found deer um, in that country? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's kind of crazy. Like, big bucks are where you find them. Oh. And they are, yeah. it's usually tied to feed, number one, and then it's seclusion. So wherever they have that good feed, they're going to be nearby where they can get away from that feed to bed up for the day, you know. Yeah, that seclusion is a good point. So, you know, it's good to take advantage of all these. I have a couple mountain mule deer hunts this year. I've got a desert one, and then I've got a, like, that high desert hunt, like you're talking about in the sage. I try to take advantage of all the different habitats and opportunities I can get because I love to hunt mule deer so much. But that that sage country, boy, they can blend in in that open country, and they can grow big in that stuff. 
Um, and, and you talking about the seclusion, uh, I find a lot of times in these roaded areas, it's just finding a drainage that you can't glass from a road or you can't see from an easy spot. Or like I use backpacking techniques in this one high pressure area that I hunt to get back in. And it's just a few miles, but nobody's making that hike in there, living in there. And those, those deer just love to run in there where they're not getting pressured. Yeah, that's pretty much all my hunting is getting away from roads to those secluded areas, which is harder to find in the, the high desert and low country. But once you find them and you find those right pieces, then you usually find the bucks and there's usually fewer and farther between and man, I can there's usually find some good bucks. So the yep. cool thing is when you find that buck, nobody else is keyed in on them. You got that buck to yourself. Those bucks are also a lot smarter though. It seems like <laughs> they are those huh? high, those high country bucks. They, they can be a little more docile. You know, you can get away with a little more, I feel like, cause I think those deer, you know, they have a big migration for the most part. You know, they're going through all their transition zones back to their summer range where these low country bucks, they live there all year round and don't go anywhere. Well, and they're, they're really keyed in cause they, they do know that one Ridge over has four wheelers 30 times a yeah, day. Yeah. You know, they, they, <laughs> yeah. they know that stuff. And, and I've, you know, I haven't mastered it like Travis, but I spent a lot of time watching some of those kind of deer and you'll be watching them and you'll hear something or some, uh, you know, a four wheeler motorcycle truck, whatever's, you know, the next Ridge over and you can hear it. And that deer will tighten up. He'll bed down. He'll sit there and he'll just watch. And then whatever he was doing, he won't go back to doing for a while. Like he's he's really keyed in because he's got all these distractions going on in, in his area, and, and they they hate that. You know they they want those those big deer that live in these isolated you know remote mountainous areas. They've got a lot less of that going on, so they're they're a lot less high strung. And I I, I think those desert deer like Travis is going after or like <laughs> they're some of the toughest to find and hunt. Well, and, and I think it can be what I've experienced with those sagebrush bucks is they play the wind to their advantage every time i mean it's like you know the you have the thermals to work with and you know what that's going to be pretty consistently right and you get in that desert country and i mean I, I i had a buck one time i i mean i had him scouted out opening day i was there and the wind was wrong and there was no other way for me to get into him because it was so open that i could only come in from one angle yeah they and, play the wind. yeah and four days i'd be there and he, I watch him go bed up, and there's nothing I can do about it. And on day five, the wind was wrong for them. It was right for me. I come in from that angle, and they bed up 150 yards from where they normally bed. And I, I, I'm pinned, right? I can't do nothing. And then so then they waited, and they were hoping as it got hotter for that wind to switch back, and they were going to get back into their normal bedding area. And they would, it never did switch. It was a consistent, you know, storm was moving in. And so they go back and they pick a different chunk of sage that they, I've never seen them bed in all summer. And I had to make a move and I ended up getting in on him and killing him. But it was that one day that the wind was wrong for them. You know, they, they, I, I was shocked on how they play that wind in that open country to where you can't even get in on them. Cause they got their, just their little spot that they can bed and all, you know, there's four of them and they're all in different directions and I can't get in on them cause it's too open, you know? Yeah, playing that win. They're smart. Yeah. It's, it's part of the reason why we all love mule deer so much is, um, you know, it's the country they take us to, uh, but they're really switched on. Like the species of mule deer, they get really good at, 
at living in their habitat and knowing when danger's in there and avoiding it. They're really good at disappearing, you know, going to secondary living after they've been spooked and, and going into a different spot. But they're, they're so challenging and, and tough to harvest a big one. I mean, and everybody wants a big 180-inch-plus mule deer out there. And there's so many tags across the West for these deer, but there's very few guys that stack up multiple of these bucks, you know? And it's, mm-hmm. it's just about, like you guys have done, paying your dues, learning the species, uh, putting constant effort in, and, and improving our skill sets until where we can harvest these bigger age class bucks. But this is a fun game, isn't it? Muley hunting? Mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing better. So, nothing better. Yeah, I think if I could, you know, I know if I could hunt one species, you know, the rest of my life, I, there's no doubt in my mind I'd write down mule deer right now. 100%. I should take that deal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they're they're just. Um, they're smart and they're crafty and they have a knack for making the right moves and, and they don't put themselves in a bad position very often. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's fun. You guys got a bunch of hunts coming up this year. I can't wait to see what you turn up. Um, so, so yeah, guys can find you uh, social media. Uh, Travis, you've got your new knife out, Goat Knife. It's doing really well. Uh, talk is. about that for a minute. Yeah, so I've, I came up with this uh – it's a replacement blade knife that is also doubles up as a set of Allen wrenches. So you can have a quarter inch bit, which it comes with the kit. Um, yeah. And you can, you can fix your, your bow sights or tighten up a tripod in the back country. It's just, it's focused on being a uh, multi-purposed and lightweight. So it's man, such a great product, but, um, yeah, I couldn't be happier. It's like, a you're such a hustler, you know, you've got a full-time job and love to bow hunt. And then you come up with these ideas and, and it's almost self-serving for you. I think as you like to use the products that you come up, it's something that you need or that you use. And that's why you come up with that, it. That's the driving force. It's cool to actually be able to, you know, get some income from it. But the driving force behind it is I like to just be minimalistic. I like to take the bare minimum and this is eliminating packing a set of Allen wrenches. I just feel like throwing in uh, three one inch quarter inch bits, you know, mm-hmm. to do everything I need to do for my system. That That's way better than packing a set of Allen's, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, um, dude, I have so much respect for what you do. Like I say, you're my bow hunting brother. I love checking in with you throughout the season and we're going to put a hunt together and, and hook up for one of these things. But yeah, thanks man. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I'm excited. And Thank you. Yep. Um, Zach. Yeah. So, man, I am so jealous. I've heard <laughs> from people that they're going to move to Alaska and hunt doll sheep. Uh, very few people follow through with that. You're one of the guys that you told me you were going to move up there, and, and then you've moved up there, and you've got the most out of it, man. You've been hunting yeah. doll sheep and goats and um, uh, brown bear, Kodiak brown bear. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, it's wild. You're going on a bunch of amazing adventures out there. Yeah. I mean, when I moved up, I. I straight up told everybody my goal was to kill a sheep and a goat every year. And, and then after anything other than that was going to be a bonus. Mm-hmm. And the first year I'd moved up there, uh, that's, I did, I killed a goat and a dull sheep. And, uh, last year didn't quite work out that way. I didn't, I wasn't the one that ended up pulling the trigger, but I was still a part of a handful of sheep and a couple goats, you know what I mean? So it was still, I was there. I just wasn't the one pulling the trigger. Um, but this year, I think it's going to be a lot different. Um, I'm up first to pull the trigger on a ram, so it'll. Uh, I got some pretty high expectations. And then, yeah, then I just got just stupid lucky on that Kodiak tag because that you know pretty much all Kodiaks a draw. And uh, I mean that's it's a less than one percent draw odds. I mean it's drawing the hardest tag in the state to draw. And so 
just yeah got really lucky and had a great hunt on that here just a month ago in may so man well you're yeah. making the most out of it it's really fun to follow along i dude i love your videos that you were coming out with so do you yeah. have any new videos out or where can guys <laughs> check you out well i've got a lot of videos on hard drives <laughs> 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 i haven't had time to edit um i've got yeah i mean i've got six seven just really quality hunts to come out uh i mean i was down last march uh in mexico with my dad and we shot desert sheep you know, wow. and I got that all in film. That's going to be a really good one. Uh, yeah, and then just a couple ramps. Uh, I got a, we did a spring black bear hunt out of the sound, Puget Sound, and killed four bears in 24 hours, you know, and that's all in film, and, and it's going to be a really good one. Uh, took a first, took a, a new hunter out on that, and she shot her first big game animal, you know, so that, that was a really cool moment to capture. And yeah, I, I just, I just got to find time to edit. You know, it's <laughs> like, I, you know, I spend so much time hunting that when I'm not hunting, I got to be working, you know, I mean, I got to make money somehow. And so it's, you know, it's just, I just been working so much these last two years, really when I'm not hunting and I just haven't had time to, to, you know, get caught up on the editing, but it's going to happen soon. Uh, I, I just, I have to, I'm getting so far behind that. And and I want to see these videos completed too. It's like I, I enjoy watching them just as much as anybody else. I mean, there's times I get on the YouTube channel and just watch all my own videos in one <laughs> sitting. You know, yep. it just kind of gets gets me remotivated and mm -hmm. and you know excited for the upcoming season. So, but yeah, I know that you know it's hardworking hunter on the YouTube channel. So mm -hmm. and Instagram, but yeah, there'll be there'll be new videos coming out, and there uh, I'll probably be backlogged. You know, it'll be some of the older ones first, but. Yeah, and then and then this, like I said, this season, I think we're gonna kill some nice sheep, and it'll all be on film. So it'll be it'll be good. Man, awesome! Well, I yeah. can't wait to see the new videos, and I definitely know how that goes. It's tough to be a a blue collar hunter that is so passionate <laughs> about hunting. Like you say, we've got to work all year so we yeah. can take a few days in the field. But yeah, definitely make sure you check out his social media and and yeah. YouTube page. And yeah, we're excited to see those news new ones. Yeah. Dione, man, um, I'm so impressed you're such a specialist for those mule deer and continue to turn up good ones and harvest good ones every year. Um, man, where can guys follow along on your adventures? Um, I'm I'm not super social media active, but I'm, I'm on Instagram as Wild Idaho, and then uh, I spend a little bit of time on Rockslide, and it's just like it's the, my, my name is basically the first part of my email. But, um, yeah, uh, that's that's where I'm at on social media. I've, I've been filming stuff for years, but it's all just like one-second clips so, <laughs> or 10-second clips. But, um, um, yeah, no, that's, uh, that's where I'm at anyway. You're uh, so passionate about everything mule deer. You know, I don't know, like you don't hunt elk, you do, you hunt mule deer. That's what you hunt. And you're so into, um, your rifles performing correct. You're so into the, the knowledge of mule deer. You're just headfirst into it. So it's no mm -hmm. surprise when I see a successful year after year, dude, you're a really good mule deer hunter. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so cool, you guys. Thanks so much for being on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, guys, that's a podcast. Oh, so many killers in the room. That made for a really good recording. Uh, so much great insight into mule deer hunting. So I can't thank those guys enough um, to come on and share their insight and information that that they've had to learn the hard way, you know, through through years of, of trial and error and sacrifice. And uh, I just think it's it's so great that we're in this information day and age where there are so much, you know, so many knowledgeable guys willing to share uh, podcasts out there, so much great literature 
um, you know, gosh, I would have, I would have absolutely eaten this up as, as a, as a young kid learning how to bow hunt, um, gosh, just to be able to, to, to further this, this learning curve in a short amount of time is so valuable. So I just can't thank those guys enough. I can't thank you guys enough for the support of this podcast. I'm just so humbled that we can make this thing all work and, um, thanks to you guys support with the podcast downloads, shares, um, the support on social media, it, it all goes, it all really helps out. So, uh, I appreciate it. Uh, I also want to thank our sponsors for the show. I want to thank Eberly stock, uh, great packs for a great price point. Uh, and I also want to thank sportsman's warehouse. If you guys are in the market for anything, uh, before your hunts, backpacking food, anything you need for a hunt, uh, they have it all and a knowledgeable staff and, uh, we'll make sure to give them some love for season. So, um, also, thanks to Eastman's for support of this podcast. Uh, I do have another fly fishing specific podcast, so it's got about twenty episodes or so. Eastman's Flycast. Uh, it it it's a really fun podcast. This week I have on uh, Todd Helms comes on and and one of his friends Sam Bailey, and we just have this great back and forth about summer fly fishing. So uh, super podcast. I'm really enjoying it. So make sure to check that out if you're interested. It's called Eastman's Flycast. Uh, check out Tag Hub, that giveaway we have going, uh, and everything at Eastman's. Um, I just really enjoy being part of this team, and um, it's like a dream come true for me. You know, I used to run my run to my mailbox to get the Eastman's magazines, and now to have a place in the company with the podcasts and writing and things, uh, it is an absolute dream come true. So thanks to those guys for their support of everything. And man, oh man, are we closing in on go time. Um, I've got, I start, uh, August 10th. I've got about 12 days until my season opens. Training has gone flawlessly. Uh, a top, I mean, absolute top peak physical condition. Uh, my mind strong. I have the time off. Uh, that Matthews bow is just absolutely shooting. Um, Man, I can't wait. I am ready to test my skills. I'm ready to cut my legs loose. I'm ready to go have some Western adventure. Um, man, I know it's going to test me. I know there's going to be challenges, but I, I just can't wait. Um, I've got time this year. I've been taking care of all my construction work and uh, taking care of these podcasts and making sure I've got great next-level information to release to you guys. And uh, it's time to cut these legs loose and time to see what I'm made of. Um Man, you wait all year uh, for these hunts to come back around, the high country mule deer and the elk hunts and antelope and um, into to late season deer. I just can't believe another season is, is at my doorstep. Uh, I swear I get more excited every single year. I, um, I, I just fall deeper in love with this endeavor, uh, the, the challenge of it, the hard work that goes into it. And I, I think every year I'm getting better. I know I ran more miles this year than I did last year, more elevation, better prepared. My body feels a hundred percent and, uh, I've really got my mind right. Um, I know what I'm capable of and, uh, you know, I, I really want to, I just want to have an adventure and enjoy the process, but, um, I'm going to set my goals pretty high. And, uh, if I, if I, come back from a hunt and I don't fill a tag it's not going to be the end of the world because I'm I'm going to be shooting for those next level critters and uh, really put you know this this high bar or this this high mark that I want to try to hit and um, I just absolutely can't wait uh, I just I just know I'm ready 
family's ready. Um, man, it's freaking go time. So uh, with that, I'm going to release some really good podcasts to you guys coming out before I leave. Some good solos. I know it's been a couple months since I've done some solos, so going to record one on, on specifically antelope hunting, specifically on mule deer hunting. I uh, just covered a really good one with Dylan last week on elk hunting, uh, but I'm sure I'll, I'll do an elk hunting one as well. And uh, anything else I can think of to kind of set myself up right for season and set you guys up for success come season. Just give you all those, you know, I'm, I'm the same as you guys. I'm out working my butt off on public lands trying to, to uh, learn, evolve, adapt, be the very best I can be. And, and through that, I get to share my journey with you and, and what works for me and my mindset, my execution on animals. And, and I just think that insight is so valuable. So um, super excited at this podcast where it's headed, super excited at season. So I just can't thank you guys enough for all the support. And uh, with that, I'll check in with you next week.